morning. It's the Fan Morning Show, Sports at 590 The Fan. Happy Tuesday to you all. How's it going, JC? Not bad, not bad. We got the matching fleece going on today. I didn't even realize that. No, it's just it's a couple cold of shades today. off. That's why. Like, it's. Yeah, I was outdoors I'm, a lot of times in the wee hours of the night in the morning, getting some fresh air. Oh, you were up all night? Well, I didn't realize I did that. Go, you know, take some trips outside. Was just this like scheduled or? Well, got to make sure that no one's uh, peeing in the house. Right, right, right. So I went outside a few times and it is brisk. It which is, is brisk. Why the fleece is the move today. So you're on less. Day. You're on less sleep than normal. I got a puppy less than 24 hours ago. Of course, I'm on less sleep. Well, they than do a lot of sleeping. Yeah, but yeah, you know. Like you're roll, like making sure it has to get out of out of the crate to go out. Like, well, I definitely brought him outside a few times. Okay. Yeah, okay. To make sure that he didn't pee in the so house. The new you world. Start early. The new world for you here. Yeah, it's all good. Tell us about the, the first vibe day. is great. Tell us about the first day. Um, the drive home with the puppy was immaculate. Slept most of the drive, two hours, and then got into the big city and was looking out the window at the buildings. <laughs> it was so cute. <laughs> He definitely had never seen a building before. He's from a farm. Yeah. So it was just like, what are these things happening? Then got him home. The integration with my cat was seamless. And that really it could was, not have gone better. That really was the main concern yesterday. Hundred percent. That's that. That was that could have been Defcom. Which one do we say was highest? When we talked one. to yeah. Okay. One. Could have been real bad. Great. Seamless. Wasn't even a five. It was. It was wonderful. They they took their time and they found their way. And everything's good. Slept pretty well through the night. Not a lot of whining or crying. Already had visitors. I'm going to have so mm. many more friends that come out of the woodwork. Hey, by the way, it's been a while. Would love to catch was up. Was there excitement pee every time someone new came in? Yeah, that's that was a little bit of like excitement, excitement pee. Excitement pee is unavoidable. Worth it. Of course. Just a There's nothing wrong with a little excitement pee. Pup. And at the honeymoon phase, you were saying this morning, I wonder how long that lasts. I'm like, I'm going to live in it as long as I can here. Yeah, I was trying to rack my brain because my dog's a little older. Like, I don't, like, I remember the first moments just, like, very nice and sweet. And then the next memories I have is, like, okay, the door opens and he's running full speed Usain Bolt and jumping right into me, waking me up when, like, first opportunity he gets. And that's, I think that's more fun, honestly, than the, the cuddly phase. I mean, the cuddly phase is great. But, like, having someone with personality, a dog with personality mm-hmm. is fun. So you'll go through all that. It's, it's great. Yeah, I'll great take, I'll take the, the small wins of cute naps and belly rubs and falling asleep. Oh, that, was, asleep that was full Instagram cuddle sessions for you yesterday. Falling asleep in funny positions on your back with your legs, like, up in the air. Like, he's so cute. He'd do no wrong right now. Talk to me tomorrow when he's clawed apart. You give... Or chewed a bunch of things. I don't care. You give Bandit some time, though? She's, she's being great. No, but did you give... Her some yeah, attention as and make well. Make sure she got some. Like that's moments. always the balance with parents bringing in like the second kid. It's like yeah. how you have to worry about the first one all of a sudden again. Yeah, but she's she's very interested in her new brother. So life's good. That's good as long as she's okay with it because the brother, the brother knows he was nothing on else. Face, he's like, I don't even know. Oh, I don't she, care. She like, lives here. That's okay. I'm 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 okay with that. I'm okay with my new surroundings. That's part of my new surroundings. Just an absolute treat. I can't believe I went this long in my life without having a pup, but. Perfect timing. I can't believe it now since we have gotten to this point because mm-hmm. it feels like an indispensable part of your life. You have to just be in the right part of your life to get one. You can't force it. You can force it. I wanted the best, most steady life for this dog. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Probably making sure I can. getting yourself together yeah, first. Making Fixing sure, yourself Making sure first. you're good, okay? The okay. dog can't heal all. It's all good. Exciting. So, yeah, I'm going to. Be posting some stuff for sure. Big content play. I, I worry it's now not even Nailish Four for our account. It's I put up four Instagram stories. Oh, uh, it's definitely minimizing the impact. It was more than four. I tried to FaceTime you to show you him in the car, and I got declined. Uh, well, I was in the bathroom, so I figured oh, I shouldn't. Probably for the best. Anyway, there's all more good. than four, by the way. Okay, sorry, I didn't know that there was a quote on no, bringing your puppy saying, home. Just, you know. Just don't want you to downplay it. No, I, I was very excited for, I think, the right reasons. Um, unfortunately, his very first viewing experience of Toronto Maple Leafs hockey, which he was sitting on the couch watching, I sent you a photo watching uh, 
your father at one point. It was very mm. cute. Our lives had collided. Our loved ones all in one, all in one, all in one photo. photo. He sat there. He watched some hockey. Like, I just couldn't believe this guy. And he had to see that performance. <laughs> I couldn't believe this. <laughs> I He's mean, one of my own. It's a baby. It doesn't, like, do much. I know, but it was so cute. Babies just are, like, put on, put on the Bachelor. Like, that's not, that's not what it is. But he wanted to be. He's a little Leafs fan. Okay, okay. I don't know. Maybe he's going to be a Sabres fan after that first vegan experience. Yeah, maybe. It was tough. Um, Leafs fall 4-2 to Sabres. 4-3, sorry. Um, Sabres last night. A good start and a sloppy, gross middle frame. Not and not even just a middle frame. The final period is pretty yeah. rough. At too. that point, when you get sixteen straight shots against without recording a shot, mm-hmm. you, the, the ice has flipped. <laughs> yeah, I mean the Toronto Maple Leafs have made the second period theirs for the bulk of the season, mm-hmm. but there's a couple games where they just like completely fall apart at the intermission and get completely outshot, outscored. The game turns on its head. And whenever that happens, the rare occasion that it happens, they can't get it back, which is a little alarming, Mm -hmm. right? It's one thing to, you know, all of a sudden you take your foot off the gas, you think this is going to be an easy night, and it was turning into an easy night when they went up 2-0, just I think like four minutes into the second period. And from that point on, they were brutal. And we've seen that before where, yeah, we've seen the collapses, we've seen them downturn in performance, we've seen, you know, a couple blips on the radar here. But we've also also seen every time it seems when there's a blip on the radar, they like can't make a change, mm. which feels like if there's anything real, like maybe the Matt Murray stuff is real from that game. There were maybe other things you could point to, but the fact that they can't dig their heels in when things go poorly, I mean, I guess that's something that could shape your narrative or at least a self-serving reference point to look at the postseason where sometimes when it starts to slip away, they can't get it back. And that's what it seemed to happen last night. Like, they couldn't contain Alex Duck. They couldn't deal with that top line at Buffalo. They were the far inferior team for 36 minutes or so yesterday. And they really couldn't get it back, which was disappointing. I think there's certainly something to be said about playing a desperate team. A desperate team that can be a super dangerous team. The Buffalo Sabres are clawing their way to make it into the playoffs. They've had a pretty great season in terms of, I think, overachieving. On the heels of four straight losses. Exactly. And they came in, obviously, the stakes are heightened when these two teams play each other. We've seen that many times this season um, and historically. So a desperate team can be a really tough opponent. I don't think the Maple Leafs um, didn't give them the respect, but I think they got complacent. That's something we see with this team, you know, against teams that are not playoff Worthy component, uh, opponents, I do believe the Sabres can be, and I, I want them to be. Like We talked about this. How great would it be if the Sabres were good? How great would it be if the um, if the Senators were good? But the Maple Leafs just ran into a team that wanted it more. And you can't have that be an excuse come playoff time because everybody wants it more than you. Like Everybody is trying to win every single game. And nobody should want it more than the Maple Leafs. So that's a tough, like, that's a tough way to lose a game is that a team just out worked you and out wanted this victory and you kind of like rolled over and let it happen um i guess well i really wanted to to talk about that anthem because it was a nice way to start the game um natalie morris she's lovely she does the uh anthems for the maple leafs your crew she's very sweet um the mic stopped working this is the way we started the game the mic stopped working i don't know if we have that audio no Uh, we do have matthews talking about it though and uh i was really impressed that People knew the lyrics to the Star Spangled Banner. Were you? Enough so that I mean, it, once you it get carried it going, itself. It's like, I don't know if no I could start way. it and just go through it. But That's once... a tough one to sing. Really? Yep. I only heard it for four straight years in university. But it's not an yeah, easy one to say, sing. You've heard that a couple times. But I just thought it was really sweet that they had the opportunity to do that and did it somewhat successfully. I don't know if it's just because there's probably a lot of Americans there. Uh, well, Maybe. I mean, this right yeah. there over the border. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really cool. Good for uh, Leafs fans because sometimes we, they get a little bit of a bad rap for not being there on time, dialed in, kind of like showing up and, you know, in their suits, whatever. But that was a good crowd to be able to do that. So it was a good crowd Checkmark. then. But was that a good crowd last night overall? I don't know. That felt like, okay, that's an especially quiet Scotiabank well, Arena they, crowd. Did that second period, what was there to cheer for? I, I mean, the two goals right off the bat make that place real loud yeah. and real difficult to play in, but it seemed like it was kind of an easy night for Buffalo to just be comfortable and do their thing. 
Um, all right, so let's talk Matt Murray then, because you mentioned that being something that we might be able to, um, I guess, find something from. This is what number of consecutive game with four straight goals? Four? Five straight games? Five straight games, four-plus goals, yeah. First would, time in his career. And I wouldn't say that this is a Matt Murray loss. Like, it's not on him. No. So, statistically, and it, it looks wasn't bad. on him in... Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he, he won the game in Edmonton, I guess, but it wasn't on him that he gave up all those goals. At least it didn't seem. But he's also giving up all those goals, right? Yeah. Like, four-plus is not going to get it done in the playoffs. And, of course, there's other there's the defensive side of things. There's mm-hmm. the amount of chances that the Maple Leafs are bleeding. But an inability to put up three or less, two or less, one or less would be great. Like, that is going to bite you if you can't stop the bleeding somehow, if you can't manage to do it somehow. Uh, I think it says a lot, that stat specifically, the four-plus goals in five straight games, about the play in front of him right now. It's not exactly Mm -hmm. Fort Knox, but Matt Murray has had the opportunity here, is getting the opportunity. I don't know if, if he's artificially getting the opportunity to a certain extent. Like, we hear, okay, Samsonov's right, but... Is there some of it like, hey, we want to see Matt Murray right now? And I wouldn't blame them if they just kind of wanted to see Matt Murray a little bit right now. But what they're seeing is not someone who's seizing their opportunity to be the number one goaltender right now. Like nothing about Matt Murray's season screams he should be the guy over Ilya Samsonov other than the amount of money he makes, the two Stanley Cup rings that he has at home. Like those are the only things. So the the only touchstones that you can... Uh, latch onto because with his play with the results of all these games it just doesn't seem like he's making that sort of case for himself I do think and I agree you can't have four goals scored against you in the playoffs like it's just untenable as they say but and and Shevlin Keefe had some good comments on this I'm gonna play in a second that the numbers can be misleading in terms of where Matt Murray is. I'm still not saying that my level of confidence is high enough to be penciling him in as a number one starter, but this is why the next couple weeks have some stakes in terms of these two battling it out. I think it's healthy sometimes to have a goaltending battle when it matters because Samsonov has had the edge, but also Murray hasn't had the amount of health that's put him in opportunity to have the edge. And so maybe they are going to give him a couple more starts down the stretch. That's what I want to see. We are going to talk to Ian Tullock today and he's he's good at breaking down the numbers of it all mm-hmm. and yeah you look at the stats the last 11 starts murray's 5-5 and 0 with a 342 goals against average and 877 save percentage previously in his first 11 starts that 7-2 and 2 record at 246 goals against average and a 924 save percentage like yes statistically that is certainly different mm-hmm. but these last couple games defensively has been I believe the bigger issue that maybe that comes with the 11-7, maybe that comes with all the new faces, new bodies in, a lot of shuffling, a lot of inconsistency, but also allowing for a period where 16 consecutive shots are shot on your goaltender and you're just not putting anything offensively um, of any substance. Let's play Keefe on Murray's performance um, lately and uh, especially last night. I know the numbers look terrible, <laughs> but... Yeah. Again, here tonight, I thought he was really good. I mean, there's four tap-ins. I mean, they're like, they're, what are they, three feet or less in front of the crease. You know, pass out on the, on the winning goal from below the goal line. That's about, as, that's about as dangerous a chance as you can give up in the NHL. We cannot allow that to happen. That's very poor penalty killing by us. But I thought he made some good saves. He was really solid in the first half of the second period. You know, when we were really a little bit, he was really solid. Huge breakaway save in the third period. Mm-hmm. So, again, I've said this about Samsonov, too. You know, uh, previously at times, sometimes the numbers don't look great because we don't give up a lot of shots. Uh, the quality chances today were just, you, know, we, you can't give those. We can't give those, those type of looks up. I guess that's kind of the conundrum, right? Because I've never, there are, few times really if any where i've come away from the game being like wow mad murray like he's he's toast he's toast there are certainly moments though there are moments Moments. there are moments but like there weren't moments last night and there weren't moments i didn't think really against edmonton like yeah people are all over him for the evander kane wraparound Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i guess yeah i'm all over for that too evander kane doesn't score though if giordano isn't there to help deflect it in right like 
I don't know. And maybe Connor McDavid does that with ease. And it's like, oh, okay, you clearly got burned cheating, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just, ha- I don't find myself like being overly critical of him in game, but then you look at the numbers and you look at the results and you're like, well, at some point something needs to change. Like he's, he said, Keith said at the start of that, like all high danger looks three feet and all that stuff. I'm like, I guess that's true. And there's a lot of stuff that we can, we can talk about the defensive zone coverage, maybe how 11, seven is shaping things, but eventually the excuses run out. And maybe the most important thing is just like, okay, who's the team responding to more? And maybe the team's just responding more favorably to Ilya Samsonov. And maybe that's just the tiebreaker if you want to suggest that there's a tie between these two or there's a wash between the two or that it's not on uh, Matt Murray or all the success is not on Ilya Samsonov's shoulders. Like sometimes that's just the difference which goaltender you're playing more for or better in front of because I, I just can't, like, every game I'm not like, oh, Matt Murray, like, that was brutal. That was awful. But eventually these games and the performances add adds up and it kind of makes the decision for you. I would be surprised to see him Wednesday or maybe even Friday. Maybe you give Samson off his own opportunity at a back-to-back. Like, when the playoffs roll around. I feel like nothing will surprise me now. Like, I don't know what their intentions are. And that's And right. that's the same thing with 11-7. I don't know what their intentions are. I'm done are. with it. I don't I know. have been done with I've it. been done and with I'm it too. I've been done with it again. I've been done with it too, but like Sheldon Keefe said yesterday before the game, hey, this is like the, paraphrasing, this is an option for us. Didn't he say this something about how the real. lightning do it? The lightning do it's it. Like, of okay. <laughs> the lightning have done it. The lightning great. have done it to great effect. The lightning are a little different though. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I I don't know in like theory, I don't know how much different they are, but the lightning are just way better at like massaging massaging certain scenarios. They're better at identifying, hey, Luke Shen, which the Leafs ironically have now, <laughs> he's really good at this one skill. Can we get him to do that over and over and over again and not have him do too much? I think they're, the Leafs are like trying to do that or at least that's that's their intention is to try to replicate something like that. But I feel like it's just born out of necessity. It's born out of the Ryan O'Reilly absence. Because if Ryan O'Reilly comes back, you're not going 11-7. Who are you taking out? Are you taking out Zach Aston-Reese? Mm-hmm. I guess you could argue you could. But that fourth line looks really good with Zach Aston-Reese, David Camp, and Nola Chari. And like, you know why they I, look I good? I really want to see them. playing together. I, I think that is probably a big deal. Yeah. Like they're, they're, I like how the Leafs put their lineup. It's just like there's no there's a blank space in the third line because they like their fourth line. And they're <laughs> rotating the five forwards through at least the middle six. But anyway, like... I, I, the eleven seven only works for one reason, or there's one justification in my mind for it, which is that Eric Gustav, Gustafson is by far and away your number one option as power play quarterback. That's the only justification for me because you need that skill, a skill you don't have, but you can't afford him to play and log major minutes as a top six guy. But if you don't play him in that role, if he's not going to be doing that for you, and even if he's sh- like, okay, that he may be doing it for you, but he shouldn't, like he's not that much better than Morgan Riley or he's not better than Morgan Riley at all, I just don't see the reason to do it other than to try and keep people happy. My greasy theory on it, though, is... Greasy theory. Okay, so we all know Morgan Riley struggled all season long. Maybe part of that is due to injury and they understand that, hey, maybe there's a point in the season where... Riley's not going to be available. Riley could aggravate. Riley could be vulnerable or susceptible to injury. We need to make sure Eric Gustafson can play and play the role because if he comes in cold off the bench, not knowing any of his teammates, not knowing anything about the systems, not knowing anything about being a Toronto Maple Leaf, then they're cooked. That's my greasy theory on Interesting. that. Interesting. It might be the, 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 the Morgan Riley apologist take of all Morgan Riley apologist takes. But I'm, I can't figure out why they're trying to shoehorn Eric Gustafson into the lineup. It's not like the results are terrible, but he's not your guy. He has no role if not being the top power play guy. So hmm. that's, that's my greasy theory on that. I don't know how in I am on the greasy theory. Well, something's got to explain Morgan Riley being awful this season, no? Yeah, I, I certainly agree that there's something... There's something off with him. I do believe the confidence now is like you've kind of dug yourself into a spot where you are clearly being 
shopped around in terms of partners that are going to work for you. Remember when he didn't go almost an entire season without that first goal and he scored the goal and it was like, okay, Morgan Riley's back. Looking to the heavens. And you know that players understand what's going on and whether they care about the media or not. Like it has been the Morgan Riley discussion all season long. Even if that's 10% factor, that's weighing on him. He just signed a monster contract. He knows he's going to be here a long time. He's a guy that is one of the faces and leaders of this team. As long as Dubas is here, he'll be here for a long time. So that all weighs on you, and you're not performing to the highest level. You're getting shopped around in terms of who's going to play with you. You're adding defense, too. Like There's like a, a little collection of guys in the back end that are fighting for time. Luke Shen's probably going to join the, the Leafs again. He was there um, for Monday's game last night, but he didn't play. So you'd think that they're going to try to get him back in the lineup tomorrow against the Colorado Avalanche. So once again, you're in the discussion of who's coming out. Like that's, this is not an apology take about Morgan Riley is at, at all. I agree. He has had a disappointing season, but I don't know if I'm fully in the grease ball theory of a secret injury with like a protection. Well, I don't know if it's, I mean, the guys deal with injuries all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like a but, ha- complete tinfoil hat. No, suggestion. no, no. I just mean in terms of like putting Gustafson in opportunities to like make sure he's ready if Morgan Riley goes down. But it, you can say that like maybe that's part of the reason with the 11 is that they're giving everybody an opportunity to play with everybody because in the playoffs, if someone's not clicking with somebody, hey, remember back in, in March, we put this guy with this guy and it worked. Like you have some safety valves. I just can't imagine. Okay, so what do you like about Jake Jake McCabe? You know, I like, what, I, you know what I like about Jake McCabe? He's a defenseman. Yeah. He, he's a defenseman. He's hard to you know play what against. I mean? like, he boxes he's out. He's like the he's only tough. defenseman yep. that they have. And Jake Jake Muzzin was a defenseman before. Mm-hmm. But the other guys are, you know, puck movers. They, you know, trying to get it up to the forwards, embracing who they want to be. But Jake McCabe's the guy who's like, okay, tough minutes. Yeah. Tough minutes belong to Jake McCabe. Those are the players and you want Brody in the too, But he's kind of like a hybrid and he does. And Justin Hall maybe a little bit as well. Mark Giordano a little bit as well. But Jake McCabe is different. So you prioritize different in Jake McCabe. Mm-hmm. And then you prioritize the opposite to an Eric Gustafson. Like, they could have had a pick or they could have had something else. It didn't have to be him, but they wanted him. And why did they want him? What's his skill set? It's like Morgan Riley-esque, right? So I just feel like there's – it felt like an insurance policy at the time. And watching him on the ice, it's just like I can't see it as anything more than an insurance policy. So I guess that's why – my greasy theory is what it is, mm-hmm. but I guess we'll get more information now with Luke Shen coming back and how they arrange things. Again, it goes back to the point, though. It just doesn't seem like there's a simple solution, and more defensemen, seven as opposed to six, doesn't necessarily fix things. A really good line of questioning for Ian when he joins us at seven, analytics expert. How much of this up and down two weeks of lack of consistency has to do with lack of consistency in the players you're playing with. Is there a real benefit to 11 and seven? Is it just a trial period? I hope for the next little while to figure out who goes with who. And then, you know, what's Luke Shen going to bring to this lineup? Is he playing the best hockey of his career as of late, which we talked to somebody, Jason Bukala about. Yeah. Remember? I think so. Yeah. And like, I got super excited for that. We just haven't seen him much because of the birth of his child. So he's mm-hmm. hopefully be back in the fold, maybe see a couple of games here in a row. But they're playing the Avs on Wednesday. They got the Hurricanes Friday. The Avs are hot. And the Sens Saturday. Like, those are not, those are games that you can't have a team that wants it more than you beat you. So obviously there's, you know, concern or intrigue or mystery or whatever. I would say mainly concerned with the defensive pairings with seven. What does seven defensemen mean? Who's going to get in? Who's playing with who predominantly? Mm-hmm. It also, the other side of the equation, if we're doing pros and cons, it really does affect the forward group. And I don't know, you would have more experience, of course, playing with 11 forwards, what that all feels like, how it might interrupt things, how it might disrupt things. But we just mentioned the blank square on the lineup and that being somewhat hilarious. The two guys beside the blank square, Sam Lafferty uh, and Callie Yarncroke, they got absolutely smoked last night. Smoked. They had about seven to eight combined minutes, zero shot attempts. So absolutely nothing in terms of output offensively. And defensively, they were getting caved in. So how does that affect that those two guys? Because they're moving up and down the lineup a little mm-hmm. bit. They're getting some minutes away from each other, but they're also getting different line mates. 
and they cannot find any rhythm at all. And can you afford to have Sam Lafferty and Callie Yarncroke be not even just like negatives, but like severe negatives? Now, that's just one game, mm-hmm. and I understand all that. And Sam Lafferty oddly was like, seemed like he was really struggling, overplaying defensive zone coverage. Like it just looked really odd with him. But I do feel like it affects certain forwards as well because you're taking something from them. So in your experience, like did did it bother you when you were down to 11? Did it Was it better? Were you playing a little bit more and that's what you enjoyed? Did you see that it affect people on your team? Like the 11-7 dynamic, we focus on the defenseman predominantly. And we're like, oh yeah, more Matthews minutes. That's going to be great. But it wasn't great with two key contributors. Mm-hmm. It was awful last night for Lafferty and Yarncroke. I think you're right on. At one point, we had 11 and 7 when I was a top one or two line, and that was great because you're getting way more ice time and you're feeling like you're benefiting. But I'm sure the bottom half of the lineup felt underutilized or like unsure of your role. That's the worst to be in a position where you're just like, what what am I here for? Like, what do you want me to do? Am I checking line? Am I an energy line? Am I a shutdown line? And if you have guys that don't really have a specific role, that's rough. And then when I played the later end of my career, when I played professionally, I was one of the, <laughs> I was the bottom six, mm-hmm. right? So you got both sides of the and equation. And I got both sides of the equation. And it's tough. Like, it's tough to feel like you're always in it, right? That fourth line, though, has been pretty great. Like, yeah, it was. This was just the third line. It's that, being it's that by like this. little collection of the two of them wondering like how to make an impact, and then also sometimes trying to go outside of your role because you're like, hey, I don't have a, I don't have a specific spot right now in this lineup. Am I playing for something? Oh, like all of a sudden you're playing with Matthews. I got to be more offensively exactly. focused. I got to get Matthews the puck. And so it's certainly difficult um, for those guys, and I think there's the added heightened idea of what's going to happen to me in one month when we have a a playoff series when more, uh, when Ryan O'Reilly comes back, am I playing for, you know, a spot up or down the lineup? I, I think it's really difficult and more so for them than the top guys. And Lafferty in particular, because, okay. Uh, and he's I'm, new too. I'm on a third line mm-hmm. with Cal Yarncroke and he's playing wing. And that means depending on who drops down to our line, I'm playing either the wing or center. And when he was playing center, you, you can look at the replays from last night. He was chasing the puck around and a lot of those defensive zone lapses which they struggled with, especially against the tuck line, were due in part, at least by my like basic surface-level analysis, of Sam Lafferty overplaying pucks, getting caught chasing, getting caught going one way where he should have been you know, marking someone the other way. It seemed like a lot of the issues last night, at least in terms of like the decisive moments, were because there was a little bit of confusion of what was going on defensively, and I don't know how you could point at anything else but the 11-7 being a major, major factor in that. I mean, Yarn Croke still puts a puck in the net. He did. Are you giving them the benefit of the no. doubt? <laughs> I forget who. Just a note. Was that uh, Austin Matthews clearing the path for him? That was the, uh, yeah, it was that goal. Mm. So Yarn Croke had a moment. Yeah. But he also, was that just a moment that he had playing up? And that was a solitary moment. But again, I mean, Sam, uh, Sam Lafferty was the one that like stuck out to me in For terms sure. of issues. And I th- I feel like that's because uh, he was dealing with some inconsistencies, at least when it, when it came to his deployment. There's one more thing I wanted to ask because one more mm-hmm. big moment in this game was the Tavares bunting 2 on 0. Yeah. You've done it. You've been bunting. You've been Tavares. Sh- what should Michael Bunting have done in that scenario? So this is the one where and what should John Tavares, Tavares is the have one, done in that scenario? This is the one where Tavares is skating down the ice on the his off wing. Off wing, yeah. yes. And he Which I think is key. decides to pass it over to Bunting. Yes. No. Tavares no, needs to go in and shoot that. What is is Michael Bunting in the wrong there? Why? Like, because he raced silly. up there and yeah, was calling for a pass? He made it so No, that he's not in the wrong. He had wouldn't you rather if you're Tavares, Tavares should just have a bit more awareness that, like, I don't need to make this play. I know, but, like, Bunting made it so that he had to do it. Well, you know why he needed to do that, and I don't find this on Bunting at all, is, like, what Tavares could have done and maybe should have done is... He kind of squeezed, sh- he kind of pushed him in the corner. No, he didn't. If it's a 2 on 0 if you're... But a, you're, you're ripping if, to if the you're net John for Tavares a rebound, and Michael Justin. Bunting's not there, you're going to the center of the ice, are you okay, not? sure. So Michael Bunting shows up, you have half the net to work with, or I'm half the side right of the now. ice... He is outside the dots, and he comes into inside by the hash mark and 
throws it over the bunting who's inside would Tavares the Tavares not as have well. been inside of the two circles if Michael Bunting didn't race up on that play? Possibly. But if Michael Bunting didn't race up on that play, we'd be ripping him apart if there's a rebound. No. That you comes... get behind, so you get the rebound. I've been Michael Bunting. You've been John Tavares. If I'm Michael Bunting, I'm putting myself in a position where I'm right behind Tavares, running interference, getting the rebound. I don't agree. Really? I think it was on John Tavares to shoot that and not throw it over to Bunting. Shoot it for a far pad. There's a rebound to Bunting. He gets the opportunity to roof it. Or, like, he's not going to run into Bunting. Like, Bunting's not a house leaguer that's going to be like, oops, you ran into me. I think they I think they both. You tweeted all about this, eh? This bugged you. Well, I was just trying to figure it out. Because if I'm John Tavares, I don't want you, especially on my off wing, too. Right? Like, if, I, if I'm on the other side, if I'm a left winger and I'm a left shot as well as, mm-hmm. as Tavares, if I'm on my left side, then, yeah, I want to open it up to you because immediately my blade is yep. facing you and I don't have to do some, like, really uh, easily identifiable backhand pass. Like, you can't disguise that backhand pass. That's right. He decided to do it, and Craig Anderson knew exactly what he was doing, got over, made the save. And it was not even, like, a good pass. But if I'm on my left side, mm-hmm. the pass, like, I'm already facing... Michael Bunting, and I can turn my wrists over and shoot it, or yep. I can do something with it. But Tavares, Tavares limited himself in that moment, but Michael Bunting put him in that situation. So I'm like, that's why I asked you. I wanted to know who was kind of like more responsible for Not that Tavares. play. That play being so much, like 2 on 0 high percentage. The moment Michael Bunting got there, it was lower, way lower percentage because the options for Tavares, minimal, and then his decision, it looked like it was made for him, and it was, frankly, a poor decision. I think that maybe the best of both worlds would have been, as you said, opening up, being on your, like, you're facing almost bunting. You have opportunity to shoot, to pass. And if you're on your off wing, you kind of want to drag it behind you. That's because right. then you can you actually can turn the it. wrist over and, and you can use the deception. Well, in a perfect world, it would have been you and I in that two on O, and well, I would have shot. Have, we wouldn't have messed that up. No. We would have been fine. Your left shot? I'm a left shot. So you would have been Tavares. You would have cut to the middle. I would have been right behind you. Would have been would have ran crashed, right into you. Crashed the goalie, <laughs> and we would have scored it. Whether you buried or I got the rebound. Uh, no, it's uh, I'm watching the video on your Michael Twitter. Michael Bonning, and... Bonning, Bunting wanted that too too much, man. Hey, he's got an Give opportunity in the top six again. Like I think he was pushing for a goal for sure. He was. How many breakaways did John Tavares get? Let him have the one. Wait, what? Has John Tavares had a breakaway all year? All I can remember are the ones that Kerfoot doesn't score on. Right. Was it last night that Mitch Marner had this opportunity and he dances through a bunch of people and he looks over and it's Alex Kerfoot and he decides not to pass it to him? Yeah, it was yesterday. Yeah, it was they last night. On it. Yeah, and he, he decides, he, like, he actively lifts his head up, he dances through the D and he looks and he's like, oh, that's Alex Kerfoot. So then he tries to do another move, puck, there's a rebound, and then Matthew scores that one. But. Mm-hmm. He looked, he's See, like, he you know was, what? That guy's not going to finish this he goal. He was trying, though. He was on his off wing, too, mm-hmm. right? So he turned his wrists over so the puck's trailing him, and he has those options. Tavares, and the option was Alex Kerfoot. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to get it over. No, and I guess, there was no, a I pause at a moment where he said, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. A hundred percent. Go back and watch I that. Th- I thought the defenseman just kind of closed it off, and he was like, he there really was a, wanted to pass it. There was an opportunity, he could have passed it, and he said... Not today. But that's what, look at me acting like an expert. Tavares should have been able to use bunting to help him score. <laughs> and it was like the captain. How of, different the, the captain, game would have been. The captain of the team. Oh, what, 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 it would have been different. And you know why? It's because he apologized the other day to the media. He's just too nice, Justin. He may be. He's got to take that on himself. John. All right. It's like the born breakdown. Yeah, we need like Leafs talk post game where they put up the video and we're like breaking it down on YouTube, like Sammy and JD, like stop it there, sis, rewind. We got it. That's why we got to be you know live streaming on Sportsnet exactly three sixty. We could be breaking down these plays. All right, exactly. I don't have too much more from Leafs. They're back in action tomorrow against the Colorado Avalanche, and then they're continuing home Uh, Friday night against the Hurricanes. So some big games this week. Oh, quickly. I did get a stat on the immaculate defensive play leading directly to goals. From Sportsnet stats? I think indirectly, yes. Okay. Someone tweeted you? They don't call it the IDPLDTG. But for probably for obvious reasons. (laughs) They call it turnover, a turnover leading directly to a goal, and that directly to goal is like five seconds. 
So Mitch Marner so does, does exist. He does co-lead in the With NHL. Uh, I'll have to pull it okay. up. Okay. He co-leads. Wow, somebody grinded and did that work for you? Well, I chirped my father who actually thought uh, it was called the IDPLDTG, which it's not, and he went and looked and see if he could find it through, you know, that Good the, for crack, him. the crack team we have here. Uh, goals within five seconds of a takeaway. Sorry, that's exactly Oh, that's good. Yep. That's five good seconds of a takeaway. Marner, Malkin, McDavid, Robertson, Aho, Jack Hughes, Joel Erickson, Eck, they all have three. That's it? That's pretty good. All Within five long? seconds of a takeaway? Yeah, I guess the five-second So second turnover part. and score. Yep. And I was like, did he, because he stripped Timo Meyer in New Jersey. Yeah, did that count? Or Apparently was that was within five seconds. Okay, so there you go. Five, though, what about seven? Seven seconds. Seven? Seven is nice in between. Oh, like how, ten's a long how time. How long do you hold the puck for seven seconds? Well, if you're John Tavares, you get rid of it. Long enough, you get eh? rid of it if a, if a forward who has no finishing ability or barely any demands that the pass is there with his. All body right. Well, IDPLDTG's now a real stat that we can track, and Marner's tied for first with seven other guys. So, just for the record, who messed up that two and zero? Two on zero. Tavares. You think it's Bunting who kind of like I, uh, no? Him I, out. I think Bunting a little overzealous there, but Tavares. Like, I think I'd rather be overzealous than dogging his way back and a rebound comes by and we say, where's your effort? You can get no, yourself to a rebound situation and you can like kind of squeeze off any on chasing defenseman. Mm-hmm. See, the, you've lived the life of a you know, star player. I've been, <laughs> I've been Michael Bunting. You got to do Michael Bunting things and I've that's not demanding the puck in that scenario. All right. Big, uh, big opportunity for... That to change on Wednesday night. We'll be watching the two on O's. If they get one, better score on it. That might be the last of John Tavares' career. He gave it up to Michael Bunting. Yesterday we came on the show. We are so fired up about Team Canada, the World Baseball Classic, Mercy ruling Great Britain, and we were on our high horse. Yeehaw. Oh, they think they're so cool with their crown and their robe and their scepter and (laughs) their home run celebrations. Canada is so good. Uh, They then got mercy ruled yesterday uh, against the United States by a score of 12-1. As soon as the game could end, boom, they were done in the seventh inning because that, those are the rules. Um, it's kind of a t- tough fall from grace. Yeah, sh- the Americans are great, okay? They got a well, dynamite I mean, roster. I mean, we can, like, romanticize the comeback story, the bad news bears all we want, but yeah. you look at that American lineup and you look at the pitching ability that Canada has especially in the second game after a game that went, you know, not as many innings as it needed to, but quite a few pitchers needed to be used by Canada. Like, it's not like we have an endless supply of them. We probably should have been able to figure that out, and credit to us, we did kind of figure that out. Shout out to Alessandro, who suggested Mm -hmm. the over, and before there was 10 outs, there was 10 runs. Yeah. (laughs) So that was at least, you know, a positive that we can take from it. But I guess the positive that Canada is taking from it is that, hey, we reserved some of that pitching right. staff after getting mercy. They only had to go seven innings. Uh, they were actually able to shut things down because they gave up nine in the first inning and only lost 12-1. So it wasn't a complete disaster for what remained of that game. Uh, and now they get to move forward and they have big games ahead that they must win in order to continue to move on. I, I You know, United States, it's always a tall task. But on a weakened staff with a guy who single-A ball starting the game and you're seeing mm-hmm. Mike Trout and so on and so forth, I mean, you could probably predict what happened, and we kind of did. So Mitch Bratt, 19-year-old from good old Newmark in Ontario, shout out. Um, yeah, he's a Texas Rangers prospect here. I think the positive here is that t- today, 3 p.m., which will be on the uh, Sports Ent against Columbia must win and probably set themselves up for that, knowing that, hey, USA would be a treat, probably out of reach. So why don't we win the games we need to win? And that could be today um, against Columbia. Well, it is certainly a must win today. It'll and- be Noah Skiro on the mound. Okay. See if he has a little bit more than little Mitch Bratt. And 3 p.m. start, that's a nice treat for us because 10 p.m. last night, at least you kind of knew the game was over early. <laughs> Yeah, there wasn't much intrigue. The uh, the bets like, were settled. The game was from, settled. It from, was just like, all right, I guess this is it. It was crazy. I flipped over from the Leafs. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> it's 9 nothing. It's a tough start.
It was a tough start. It was uh, it was very much batting practice. Mike Trout home run was the capper on the nine the nine run first inning. Anyway, and he can play baseball a little bit. Everybody can get mercy rolled in this tournament. That's the fun part. <laughs> you can be on both sides. Not, of it. not everyone can get their best players though, which is a little disappointing. Like if Mike Trout's there for the U.S., shouldn't we have Joey Votto and both Naylor brothers and hundred percent? But just a thought. That's your your choice, your decision. Kind of got to just respect that if your career is the MLB and maybe that's what you care about right now, the timing of it maybe is the issue with the World Baseball Classic. It's right in the middle of spring training. You, you need to ramp up with your team. You also need to worry about going and playing in this tournament. Like we've seen injuries already, so maybe that's a concern. I mean, I would take I mean, any shot in my lifetime to represent my country as I have. Uh, and exactly. I can't imagine turning that down, but people have different reasons. And I guess Joey Votto has before, I believe. Uh, but is, I'm, no, I'm no expert on where the Cincinnati Reds are in their, you know, in the division and their current reality. But I can't imagine Joey Votto will be playing more important baseball than he could have at the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, there might be a valid reason. You're right. I think he made his, um, I just typed his name in. He made his spring training return or debut yesterday. So probably dealing with something if he was a little banged up. Perhaps. Anyway, still love Joey Votto. He's a fun guy. Um, okay, last couple things here. The NFL legal tampering period which is a hilarious sentence, legal tampering period. Kicked, it's an oxymoron, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, kicked off yesterday at noon, and the uh, the frenzy began. We're going to talk to Ross Tucker today at 7.30, have him back on the fill, in the fold um, to break all this down. But we did see some moves that obviously can't be legal until Wednesday when the stuff really uh, is officially open Wednesday at 4. But, I mean, all the insiders are saying what's happening here. It looks like Aaron Rodgers to the Jets, still not official, but yes, is official. Yeah, I mean, I there was like we said reports, that it, times. reports that it was done yesterday, right? I think Trey Wingo was reporting yesterday. Now, mm-hmm. Trey Wingo is not Adam Schefter per se. Uh, it's I don't know what's holding it up. I have a greasy theory on that too. You want to hear that? Is it that he's trying to put the Jets in such a tough situation that they have to just hand him over the bag? No. Okay. Because I don't know why he'd want to hurt the Jets if he's mm-hmm. going there. Because Aaron Rodgers. My greasy theory is he wants to hurt the Packers. If he leaves, what is that, $50 million all of mm-hmm. a sudden at Green Bay's disposal? What uh, do they have an opportunity but, to do? But if free agency is, is, over. is wrapped up, then they can't spend that money wisely, mm-hmm. right? That would be my only theory there. Yeah, I think you're, you're bang on. There's some reason it's and not he, happening. He's that spiteful guy, too. Yeah. Maybe that's what he saw at the darkness. He did so. Not only am I going to New York... But how much can I hurt Green Bay in the process? Okay, I thought this was weird, too. Yesterday, I mean, everything's weird. Um, before yesterday, Aaron Rodgers hadn't tweeted since February 7th. And he had, quote, tweeted something about the Packers. Um, that Somebody was, like, chirping him for going on this retreat. And then he, quote, tweeted saying something about, like, you know, be curious, not judgmental. Anyway, whatever. He hadn't tweeted since February 7th. He, last night, he tweeted, Saul... S-U-L-L-L-L-L in capital letters with two laughing, crying emoji faces. At 7 million views on this tweet. Thousands of quote tweets and retweets saying, what does this mean? What are you saying? Like, What does this mean? Aaron, like you're back. Like he's back from the darkness and that's what he tweeted. I have no idea what that means. Nobody really seems to have any idea what it means when you look through the responses. Everyone's just like, can you... Can you tell us what this means, please? So I don't have a clue. I have no clue what that means. But he did something. He tweeted something. He's, I don't know what Saul means. Maybe somebody <laughs> in the text line does. Maybe we'll ask Russ Tucker. I think he's just trolling answer. because every, everybody is asking, please explain what Saul means. Mm-hmm. One day he might, one day he won't have all this power. No, but for now, not though. Soon. For now, though, the New York Jets have basically put their entire offseason into mm-hmm. luring him over. And I think Green Bay cannot wait to wash their hands and, and move on. All right. Um, also, Jimmy G to the Raiders on a three-year deal. Um, it's the handsome guy syndrome again. <laughs> is it? Is he good or is he just handsome? I yeah, mean, I don't know. The odds for them winning the Where, Super Bowl. Where's Derek Carr on that? Not like to, no. this isn't hot or not, but like, is he better than Derek Carr? Yeah. 
He is. Yeah, I think so too. But the odds were plus four thousand for them to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. He signs the odds plus four thousand for him to win the Super yeah. Bowl, and that's not really moving the needle much. But that's funny too because I think there's there's a lot more or there's a lot less variance now. I think with the Raiders, like I think the Raiders are going to be who they are, which is a team that's forty to one to win the Super Bowl. And maybe third or fourth best in their own division. And that's really the thing. It's like, he can't really elevate you, but he'll stop you from making all the mistakes Derek Carr was making, which means they're probably more true to what their projection from Vegas might be or whatever. Like, I don't think they're going to go way under their win total or way over because Jimmy G is the the most neutral guy Mm -hmm. you can possibly imagine at the quarterback position. And I do think that's probably a good thing for the Raiders. Like, it's not like, hey, let's go to the Super Bowl good. It's not, hey, value at 40 to 1 good. But it's, you know, maybe we won't be an abject disaster this year good. I I wonder, though, because Jimmy's kind of already played most of his career with really good defense and really good coaching. Mm-hmm. And now he's, I think there's an opportunity to be exposed a bit more with this roster. Like yeah. Coaching if they, if they and defense wise. To do too much. He might be like relied Shanahan to make plays. He might be relied on to make plays. Yeah. I think one and of I Shanahan's think that's the difference. Uh, biggest strengths is like, okay, you made it work with Brock Purdy because you didn't ask Brock Purdy to do too much. Mm-hmm. You know what Brock Purdy's good at. And you did that over and over and over again. No doubt. Jimmy G had the benefit of the doubt there. I think that's a great point, but if they just like, hey, open the playbook. Let's let's see what you got, Jimmy G. You might be like, oh, this guy's pretty limited pretty quickly. And that might be the reality. Um, we'll, we'll continue breaking this down with Ross Tucker. But, I mean, AFC East, if they get Rodgers, or, yeah, if the Jets get Rodgers, um, the Bills losing some players, sounds like, but also doing some maneuvering of their cap to keep some players. Um, that the, Yeah, AFC East is the beast. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Miami got better with Jalen Ramsey. Patriots are always kind of a wild card team, they can, a 500 team. You never know what you can expect from them. Um, Jets were pretty decent, and they're going to get Rodgers. You know, like it's scary. Jets with Rodgers should be a really good team. Yeah. it's All their scary. position players are young, meaning they, ha- they aren't earning the bag yet. Mm-hmm. So all that money goes to Rodgers. But you had a really – other than your quarterback, you had a really good team. And, of course, Aaron Rodgers should be an upgrade on Zach Wilson, considerably so. Yeah, East is a bit scary. The Darnold to the 49ers is a little strange. I feel like we're so going to see have, some weird ones here. So this is like one of the best rosters in the mm-hmm. NFL, if not like top three. They just added Javon Hargrave, too, from the Philadelphia Eagles to continue to bolster that defensive line. But you got Trey Lance, an injured Brock Purdy, and now Sam Darnold. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Maybe just a safety valve. But one that's <laughs> not going to push you very far. What can you do? Do you have anyone there that can push you very far? I mean, Brock Purdy just showed I, it, I but Brock say, Purdy's what's a year of Brock, Brock Purdy, Purdy just though? had Tommy John, right? But what's a what's a year of experience do for Brock Purdy? I feel like they're messing around too much with a really good roster. Like eventually, you got to be like, we got to fix this issue and get a difference maker back there if we want to win a Super Bowl because we're close, but we just continue to like it was decided for them to a certain extent last year. But if you don't put a really good quarterback behind center. Eventually, you're going to run into a wall. Well, Wednesday at 4 p.m., it'll officially open. We'll have a two-day window to negotiate with the free agents that are pending. Then we can set up how all this shakes out in terms of odds and futures. But we'll see what Ross Tucker is thinking in terms of how this uh, how this could go. Teams with some money here. Teams that are maybe interested in Lamar Jackson, which has gone quiet a little bit. So maybe there's an update there. We'll talk to him at 7.30. Um, reminder today, you got some... You got, um, the Raptors back in action. I'm just trying to find the sheet here. Too many papers. They're back in action. Oh, yes. Denver Nuggets, go. right? Um, yes. It's live at 7 p.m. 7.30 p.m. on Sportsnet 1. You got Blue Jays and Yankees at 6.35 on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and Sportsnet.ca slash 590, and the Sportsnet app. And then, of course, Canada Columbia World Baseball Classic, 3 p.m. on Sportsnet. Ian Tullock joins us at 7, Ross Tucker, 7.30, and Will Liu, we're going to chat with him. He's got some exciting news about a uh, fundraiser-esque Another panel, event. event with featuring... a big name. Big name. We'll, we'll just tease it like that. We won't even say. we to wait to talk to him at 8 o'clock. All right, A-list on the other side. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Now it's time for hey, yo. the A list. Bing bong, bing bong, bing bong. What's baby? All right, just the baby A list today, or a puppy A list, if you call it. 
this might uh, this might be the answer to a lot of disdain that NBA fans have had this season about load management, and I guess not even the season in general. The last couple of years, current and former players have made comments about it in the media, as we know, and we've we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks specifically. Um, sounds like the NBA and NBPA are moving closer to an agreement to establish a rule that a player must play in a minimum number of games to be eligible for major awards as a part of a new CBA that they're working on. So not only would this probably affect you financially and people care about awards, but it would help in terms of just having, hey, you got to play more games here. Like you might be one of the best players in the league, but if you want to be up for an award or up for a bonus, you need to play X amount of games. Not sure exactly how many games that is, but it seems like a, a good step in the right direction of establishing something that might mean something to these players because it's clearly an issue. Um, load management sucks for fans that come to games that don't get to see the superstars, but I just didn't really know how to address it in a way that actually sticks. Uh, that's the best idea I've heard. That's a great idea. Uh, I don't know what the number, I think the number is key mm-hmm. because I feel like you can still load manage. Like if it's, what is it, 70? You want to say 70? Let's say it's 70. So there's, what, 82 games in a NBA season. But my question then is, like, how do you say, oh, I'm actually injured versus there's going to be a lot of phantom tweaks and stuff, That's what right? I mean. Like if, you're, if you've already banked a solid 65 games, played the first 65 games of the season, load managed down the stretch, a couple injuries, a little wear and tear, get to the 72, whatever you need win the MVP, but also sit down the stretch. I mean, there'll always be ways around it. And how's that factor in if, like, you're out for two weeks because you, you tweaked your ACL, but then you come back and you're playing and you play a majority of the games, but you were injured for two weeks. Is there, like, a grace about, okay, we know you were actually injured, so we'll deduct that, and you have to still play 80% of games. Like, is there going to be some sort of or percentage you, of games? Do you play five minutes in a game, and that's oh. in-game load management? I like the idea. I still but think there's a lot you. of wrinkles. The, 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 that hurts you, though, because it's averages. If you only play five minutes, you only score a couple points. That hurts, actually, your MVP mm-hmm. case. So that's why, they're, that's why everyone's cool just not playing because it doesn't really affect anything. That's why it doesn't work in the NHL because if Connor McDavid wants to hit 150 points, well, you got to play in as many games as possible. Hmm. I, I think it's a step in the right direction. I still think there's ways around that. There's sneaky ways through But it. maybe it curbs early season load management. Because you're like, I don't know what the next... It's true. What I don't know I what injured? the next 50 games mean. And I want to put together a great season. Maybe I'm not taking that first opportunity to load manage. All right. It's, it's, I think it's the right call, though. Maybe... Uh, Step forward. Maybe they have a couple disclaimers or, like, you know, asterisks. But if this, you know, take a look at item A, B, whatever... I think they're on the right direction there. So, All right. Ian Tullock on the other side of the break. He's an analytics expert and hockey analyst. Talk about that 11 and 7 lineup we keep seeing. Maybe you get to ask about your buddy Gustafson and what we might not be seeing in terms of his role Does in this he lineup. Subscribe to my greasy theory. Oh, let's find out.